Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero here, and you're listening to my Tour Coach Podcast. Tour Coach Podcasts come from my stories, the interviews, my roundtable discussions, the day-to-day interaction with the people that I teach in my journey in the game of golf, whether it's tour players that I teach or tour players that have fired me or, heck, it's other teachers that I think the world of and respect or it's mental coaches, performance coaches, or, hey, maybe it's just people that have made an indelible mark on my teaching. Whatever it is, I hope this helps you learn more about the playing, the teaching, or enjoying the great game of golf. I sure as heck have fun doing this. I hope you all enjoy listening to it. We've got great sponsors. We've always got great guests. And one thing that we for sure do here on the Tour Coach is we keep it real. None of this is scripted. This is just authentic. This is the discussions and the day-to-day interactions that we have as the dew sweepers and teaching and trying to help all of you play better golf. And look, if you enjoy our instruction and you're somebody wanting to get better, why don't you come see us and get help for your game with our world-famous retreats, which are going to be at Old Palm Golf Club in Palm Beach Gardens with my good friends Mark Hackett, Dan Terleski, Colby Tuyeg, Dr. Greg Carton, and, and a host of many, many more. Or you can come see me at uh, my studio in Mobile, Alabama, or at the Preserve Golf Club. And remember, everything you need to play better golf is always going to be available for you at DoSweepersGolf.com. You can find out where I am and how to be on a podcast if you go there. Enjoy this edition of The Tour Coach. Joining us here on our teacher Zoom, our uh, Zoom for the month, as well as on the Tour Coach podcast, is uh, one of the greats in instruction. And I'm going to say he's also going to share some hip-hop with me. We may take us take it down that road on this thing as well. But the one thing I will say of all the big-time teachers that are out there, whenever I'm walking on the tee, there is one that is always nice, always makes a point in coming up and talking to you, asks how you're doing, and is genuinely, overwhelmingly kind to people and that's sean foley and Foles, thanks so much for taking the time i know it's uh, slowing down a little bit this time of year but i appreciate you taking the time to sit in with me for the podcast and for the zoom call because we got a lot of folks that are trying to learn what we do and how to get better and and i think it's kind of our mission to me to give back a little bit i was fortunate to be mentored by some great people and um it's kind of cool to have be able to give back a little bit and i thought uh, you'd be perfect for this Yeah, well, thanks for that introduction. When I was a kid, before I went to bed every night, my dad would always whisper kindness over everything, and then he would leave the room. So he would be glad to hear what you said, because that that was the non-negotiable, like education, reading, and kindness were, you could be whatever else you wanted, but you had to do those three things. Right. It says a lot about you, but it all, it's like something, like those are the things I notice about people, you know, like when you're out there and you're walking around, like, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, we all have ups and downs. We have times like I got fired load recently, right? Like yeah. when you're out there and you got everybody, everybody talks to you. It's the people, you know, when you're walking out there and you got one guy with the people that still talk to you, it's, you, you pay attention to those things after a while, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it, you know, unfortunately, life is just an extension of a high school cafeteria, right? <laughs> and it it, it takes like we we might get older and our hair might get gray but we still act like children and uh you know hence the reason we can't stop having wars with each other you know that's it so yeah, yeah i don't know i don't think about it it's nothing like i said Dude. i was i was fortunate to have uh you know a mom and dad who kind of made that what it was and then it was my choice to to live like that and i just think that uh I think at the end of the day, no matter what you achieve in your career, good or bad, I mean, we've all, I'm still officially the only one to ever get fired and have my name on the ESPN ticker for two weeks, by the way. <laughs> that's good. That is, that's a good thing. So, so it's, it's easy to get fired in, in private than in public. But anyways, we're, uh, we're better for it. Now, so l- let's start, talk a little bit. I've heard, I've heard parts of this before from you, some of my most fun conversations are sitting and listening to you at a major when everybody else is out there playing and we're sitting around the dining area, but talk about your journey to where you are now. People think you just wake up and all of a sudden one day you're coaching Tiger Woods, you're coaching Justin Rose, coaching Cameron Champ. That isn't how it happens. How did you get to where you are now? I mean, I guess the quick of it is when I, you know, when I was about 10, my dad took me to the range. I liked it. Then he took me down to Vista Valencia in Los Angeles. I'm Canadian, but I, he was working for DuPont. We were living in L.A. And my first instructor was Greg McHatton, from, who's basically was just under Ben Doyle at the golfing machine. I think I was hitting tires before I hit a ball. 
I still to this day cannot hit a bunker shot because I just I bow that thing so much. I mean, I make Dustin Johnson look like he cups it. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, joking, but not totally. I thought life was a shiftless pivot with uh, with Shaflin. You know what I mean? So, anyways, I went from that, and then we moved to Vancouver. And I started with Jack McLaughlin there. Jack McLaughlin was kind of like the Bob Ford of Canadian golf. Okay. Highly regarded, respected, could coach, play, build a pro shop, take care of members. He was just that he had the package, right? But Jack was known for working with tour players. So he had uh, Richard Zokel, Ray Stewart, Brent Franklin, Canadian Am Champ, Jeff Kramer, Lori Kane, and kind of just all the best players on the West Coast. So I was like, what was I, 13? I was 13 then. So my dad worked at DuPont, which wasn't that far from Shaughnessy Golf and Country Club. And so I first started there in the back shop. Every course that we went to, even though my dad got me hooked up with the pro, I still had to work there. I never had a membership, So, which is I'm really grateful for. Um, oh, yeah. I remember at the time being pissed off, but now I look back and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad he just gave me everything, right? So because because i think i'm doing that it's not working out as well um (laughs) so so i kind of went from the golfing machine and now i had a guy who was making me hit balls out of a fairway bunker and bare feet so it was kind of a combination of the most technical coach in the world and then someone who was incredibly feel feel oriented so i used to sit you know you remember the teaching baskets with the big wire baskets right the big green ones so I used to I used to sit on that and watch him teach all day. And he had like mainly tour players. So that was fascinating to me. And then we moved back to Toronto when I was 15. And my dad got me a job working at the National Fixing Divots in the National Golf and Country Club in Canada. It's like our, that's probably the hardest course in North America. So Ben Kern was there. And Ben Kern was the first Canadian to be a first-team All-American in college in New Mexico State, and then was sponsored onto the tour by Lee Trevino. Right. So Al Balding, George Newton, and Mo Norman, George Newton was the, was the head pro at the National. When I got there, I think he just passed away from lung cancer, but Ben was kind of George's, like, Ben's was initially a disciple at Trevino and then went in search for hitting it perfect and then went to Newton. But Ben kind of played with a bowed wrist and had that Jim Thorpe follow through. The ball never went left. And then when he worked with Newton, his swing looked beautiful, but he hit hooks like every second shot. So I went to him. I worked for him fixing divots. And then he taught me to swing like George. It didn't work. But I was just, Ben was like a god to me. I mean, he was just, look, the thing, Tony, about our job that's interesting and important is that there's a lot of data in science that shows that when you're raising a boy or a son, it's probably related to girls too, but it's definitely boys to have other metaphors with the same message your father has is massive. Right. And so I I just had these golf dads and I've become one, I've become one to so many. And yeah, it was just, I mean, between, between Shaughnessy and the national, that's the hotbed of all elite players in Canada. So I was just a little kid, like from 13 to 18, Canadian tour players, Mike Weir, you name it. I mean, all those guys, uh, all those guys. And then everyone came through the national when they were in town. So Watson, Trevino, like everyone played there and shot 75. It was so difficult. And then I got a scholarship to Tennessee State in Nashville to play golf. I did my time there. I was working at Opryland Springhouse in Nashville there. You know, the Gaylord Entertainment. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was at the course working in the back shop and uh, I was just finished my fifth year (laughs) of university and I didn't get a master's. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think my, I think my plant degree slowed me down slightly, but anyways, so I was working there and I got fired one day. (laughs) I I don't remember for what it might've been probably being late or being an asshole or something. I'm not sure if I, Sean is a way better guy now than he was at 21 or 22. So I was leaving. I've been, I've been fired and I'm walking out. <laughs> I'm walking out of the cart barn and I'm, 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 I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. I'm waiting tables. I'm trying to do everything I can. I'm not in a good place in my life. And I'm walking out of this cart barn and this guy comes walking down and he's like decked out in polo matching hat. And he's got this sign that says John Jacobs golf. 
And so I've been through all John Jacobs stuff already. I've read all the books and I'm, I'm already a total swing nerd, right? At this time. And so I actually once was not allowed to play in the conference championship because two of my buddies who were Canadian went to Austin P and we were in the Ohio Valley conference. And before the conference championship, I gave Boyd a lesson. Then he shot 64, 67 in the qualifier. And then, went on to uh, when my coach found out about it, she sat me. So I wasn't able to play in the conference championship. So I've, I've been giving people free advice as long as they would listen, Tony. And so from there, this guy comes walking down and he, he, he sees me and he's like, where should I put this? I said, I don't know, man, I just got fired, put it over there. And he goes, you know anything about the golf swing? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I know quite a bit about it, but uh, you know, yeah, I was so arrogant back then. I've been so humbled now, but I was really arrogant then. And, uh, he said, you want to work for me? I was like, well, I mean, why not? I don't have a, I got to, I wait tables at night. So I got to be out here by five at night. And so I was just, uh, I just put the balls together and I put the balls together and, uh, ordered the breakfast and the lunch for our clients. We used to have like 20 people. There'd be two groups of 10 and, uh, we just coached all day. And, I did that for two years. I worked there and then I worked in Florida and then I lost my visa to be in the United States as a Canadian, which is probably a good idea because all we did, dude, was just work seven days a week and then party with the guests every night. So every coach I knew was divorced or something. So it's probably good that I got kicked out of the country because all we, all we just, we just taught them and entertained them. So I just sit there all day, give them strong grips, teach them how to hook it. Once they hooked it, they were so happy. We'd get tipped. And then I remember I, I made the, I did my play in, in Florida, in Port St. Lucie. So once I made, did my play in, I went from $25 a day to $85 a day. And then I could quit my job at Outback Steakhouse. So I was living then, Tony. Um, that was big time. That's big money back then. And the thing is too, dude, those are literally my favorite days of my career. Uh-huh. Like my, my favorite days, right? Like we were just a disaster and had a blast and we got so good at what we were doing and Yeah, it was great. But then I lost my visa and went back to Toronto. I drove a forklift for the winter. I was not good at driving forklifts. (laughs) And then I started coaching golf at Glen Abbey in Oakville. We had like eight teachers. So I was on the bottom of the totem pole. And uh, I remember our first club link. So club corp, club link was the same, right? 25 courses. And we had the club link academy. So every club link course had an academy, but Glen Abbey was the main one. And so we had this meeting at the start of the year where all the coaches had to come in and they had this, you know, these massive tables and we all had to go up and introduce ourselves and talk about, you know, what we wanted to do and what have you. And, uh, I think, I think I was the only one to wear a suit, <laughs> but, but I, I wore, I wore a suit. You got to remember at this time, I'm like Butch Harmon, who, like, who is that? I'm a man. Like, give me a break. This is crazy. And so um, I walked in and walked up and said, I'm Sean Foley. And by 2010, I'm going to be coaching four players in the top 40 in the world. And everyone just laughed and they didn't stop laughing. And they laughed for about eight more years. (laughs) And then it happened. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you know, for the guys on the call, I mean, honestly, if you, I said this, I spoke to the AJJ at one of their big tournaments and I told the kids that, if you put on a big, you know, on a movie screen, when you go to a movie, if you put on a movie screen in red in red paint, like all the things I would have had to do from that time I was driving that forklift till now, and I was able to read it, there's I wouldn't have started because it looked it would be impossible. There's no way this happens. This doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't no. happen. I mean, if Bill Gates is born six months later, we have no idea who he is, right? Someone else would have come up with that. So it's there's so many things that go into it, but I could always outwork anybody, like anybody. And I mean, to the point now that I don't have, I, I don't have cartilage in my ankles or my knees from that. So I, I just, you know what? I just became super curious. And then in Toronto, I started in 2002. I was lucky because uh, the director of instruction left. And so they made me the director of instruction. And I just took the I just took the title because they weren't going to pay me more, but I thought the title would help me eventually. And then I created the elite junior program. So we had 18 weeks. It was like four hours a week. And we did it in the evenings. So in the winter, we did it inside the, the cart barn. We just turned into nets and mats. 
And so, you know, my first year is like 2000. I think I did 22,000 in revenue. And 2006, before I moved to the States, I did $444,000 in revenue, but got really sick. I mean, I was working like, you know, I was working even in the winter from six till nine at night. And then in the summer, the same. And I remember in the summers, I used to lose like 30 pounds because I just was, we called it the full pull, right? Like on the hour, every hour. And unfortunately, you know, with today's, environment of social media and what have you. And in ways, I think it's very good for coaches because we didn't have the ability to build it like that, but they're not going to learn a lot of things that we learned. And to me, grinding it out in the trenches is where you learn all of it. Right. I want to ask about that because that's one thing I get. So I was so fortunate to Wayne Flint, who's on here was a huge mentor of mine. I mean, I was broke. I bounced a check once for a bunch of money for the business and they made me pay it back, gave me $20 a week to live on. And I had to figure out how to do it and grow up and like, but I wouldn't trade any of those days in the world of learning and trying to figure it out and having no money and same thing. And yet now, you know, everybody can kind of get all this info from doing this stuff. You know, do you think that, I mean, I know there's good for it, but do you think that people are missing out? by not having to grind it out and teach all those hours and do all that. I mean, or, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that sits around and say the beer used to be colder when you and I were younger, but like, I do think people miss out some on, on not having to do some of the things that we did. Yeah. I think, I think like neuroscientists would point to the fact that if we make it easier, then we're not going to be as good. Right. Like being hard is part of survival and adaptation. And, and look, you know, Darwin is correct, right? Like he's completely on point with it. So, I mean, yeah, would there have been some better ways? hundred percent, but I think it's super easy to stand in front of a camera and wax poetically all these big words. And then you don't, you don't got the person in front of you hitting it sideways, looking at you going, this ain't fucking working. That's how (laughs) I got good. Right. Like, right. That's, that's how you get good. You, you just had to problem solve and it wasn't about like, you know, what their swing would look like in 10 months. They, I felt like everyone would have hit it better that day. And from, from that early development group that we had, our first five kids, two of them went on the web.com. One of them is now on the PGA tour and the other two were on the LPGA tour. Like we just, and it's crazy because they all hit it so good, but they all look so different to this day. And I think if you know where to look, they look very similar, but to people saying, you know, to CBS golf saying, man, it just goes to show you there's a thousand ways to swing a club. It's like, no, there's not, bro. There's about three. (laughs) There's probably three ways. Okay. And, and one of them, no one can do except for the freaky unicorns. Right. So, I mean, look, we're in a world now of too much shallowing, too much opening, too much side bending, too much, too much, too much. Right. I'm sure if we went and looked at all the people in the Hall of Fame at Impact, I'm sure most of them are probably at peak levels of extension and they're not really keeping their butt on the wall. But the thing I think that blew me away is I was very fortunate because my, I'd say the guys that I really liked the most, I really liked Toski. Okay. When I first met him, I was pretty, I was freaking out a little bit. I was like, oh my God. I mean, because it wasn't, I remember I watched him at the Canadian golf show and he did a driving range presentation and he couldn't have been more than five foot five, 127 pounds. And he must've been at least 60 and he was still carrying the ball 280 yards. Right. And so I think what you see is, you know, Bob's just all about the hands and arms and what we're doing to the club. So, I mean, Bob precedes Sasha McKenzie by like 50 years. He just didn't know what it was called. Right. Right. Jim Flick, I liked a lot. Obviously, Butch, Led. I mean, all just everybody. I read everyone. I used to like Davis Loves Dad stuff a lot, too. John Elliott. Uh, Chuck Cook was massive. I remember when I was about 16, Chuck Cook had done a book on grips and matchups. No one used to talk like that back then. Mm-hmm. Chuck's probably forgot more than everyone knows, really. And then, you know, Mac, Andy Plummer, Jeff Smith, George Gagas. I feel like right now... It's kind of enjoyable. I feel like I could sit there with someone on the range. And if they said, I want the Tony Ruggiero, I can do that lesson. If they said, I wanted the George Gankis lesson, I feel like I could do that lesson. So I, I find it helpful when I'm coaching people to imagine what my friends would do with them. It helps me get more clear. And then I'm out of ego because, you know, I admire so many people that, and, and I know what this is like. I know what this job takes, right? It's, it's, uh, it's really difficult, but I'm sure if I heard myself 
if someone videoed my lessons at 25, I probably would kill myself now. But <laughs> those were the those those were the lessons when those were the lessons when you hit more balls than the person who was paying you to be there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sued for malpractice now. <laughs> just just hoping they have mirror neurons and that they can they can just learn from osmosis. Um, yeah. I, you know what? I've given a lot of money in refunds. We, we I almost got fired for that once because I gave twenty five. I went. I went to see Paul Check up in Montreal in 2001, and he was doing a biomechanics thing. And I was like, I'm going to go check this out. This is before it's even a word, right? Like, it's not even a word. And so Paul Check, I don't think he had anything to really do with golf, but he had he was very good at making money. So he did a biomechanics book on golf. And I went up and I listened to him speak. And uh, as I listened to him speak, I just started picturing like, all those people I was confusing because I had it. I didn't have it correct at that point. So I gave $25,000 worth of uh, refunds and the vice president of Clublink called me and basically threatened to fire me because that's not how you do business. And I was like, well, doing a bad job is not how I do business. And they, you know, they, <laughs> I've had like, I got a lot of fans, a lot of non-fans, Tony. <laughs> that's right. I've been hired a lot too and, and done things Jackson, you're running this show now. I know we've got some, we got to have some questions. We have any there? We don't have any yet, but we can definitely open it up if anybody would like to ask a question. Questions, Jackson. So, uh, Foles, Jackson, been my assistant for a long time, great young teacher. Now he's over at Frederica, replaced me over there. Jackson, why don't you fire off a question? Well, so the first question that I had written down is you had talked about some resources and education, and I love the couple mentions of books that you've read. Are there any that have stuck with you over time that would be good for some of us to read that you find valuable for information? What, golf books? It doesn't have to be golf books. Anything really that you think were most impactful to you. I liked books. You know, I like I liked, I liked biographies and autobiographies. You know, mm-hmm. people who had, had like significantly affected the world. And I mean, pretty much what you see is it's like, Okay, so this person struggled for 50 years before they were recognized as being great. Like, I always enjoyed reading those things because when you'd read them, it was like, well, this guy was, you know, if Mandela was able to become the president of South Africa, then I'm sure I can make a living teaching golf, right? So I think, you know, the only limit, the only limit that we have is the ones that we put on ourselves. And that can go a little deeper. Trauma can do it too, but that's all for another talk. So I've been reading books about the mind forever, like since I was a little kid. I love it. I'm not even sure 10 years from now if I'm even coaching the swing anymore, because I just think that if this business is about revenue, and it most certainly is, it's like, how can I get the highest return on my investment, which is time and you know all that? And I just think that I think what I hear from sports psychologists is just is really pish and not good. Um, not not all of them. There's I'm not I'm not generalizing all of them, but I don't really think the keys to being, I don't think the keys to being successful are being eternally happy, patient and having self-belief. I know a lot of successful people in many different types of, of businesses and patience doesn't seem to be something they all have. Self-belief doesn't be something they all have and positivity doesn't seem to be something they all have. What they all do have is they understand their market and they're competent at their skill. So for me, if we're talking about being competent, not confident, because you know, you know what it is. Confidence for all of us, Jackson. You some days you leave the range and you're like, man, that was so good. And the next day you leave the range, you're like, I was so bad. And I started noticing on my bad days, I'd still get emails from people saying, Man, that was a fantastic lesson today. So I started learning, like, I guess it doesn't matter how I feel, good or bad. So when I feel good, be careful not to miss simple things. And when I feel bad, be careful not to overanalyze everything. Because when I'm feeling when I'm feeling insecure, I become an intellectual bully. And then it's like, well, the value is just how smart I am at this. But that's not what they're there for. So I don't know how to not feel insecure. And I don't know how to feel happy all the time. I just know that they kind of come and go like the clouds in the sky. But you just got to keep pushing through. It's like, it doesn't really matter how you feel. You just got to keep pushing through. And so... If I wanted to be competent, if I was 22 again, and I wanted to be competent, I would save money and go see Sasha McKenzie. 100% I'm doing that. I would talk to Scott Lynn. I would talk to Will Wu. I would spend time. I've been doing it for a few years now, but 
I've spent time consulting neuroscientists to just learn about the, like how the brain developed over time and why we are the way that we are rather than judging people or rather than thinking you can help someone be just understanding, like, you know, we use a track man so we can see the numbers that impact. So here we are communicating with human beings and we don't even know how the brain works like at all. Like, how do we not, know, how do we not know that? Right. How, how have we not got to the point? I think what's going to end a lot of debates is when they come up with the technology where they can put sensors in a grip and these players start swinging the golf club and we start seeing all these interactions with the hands in the club. I think that's going to, I think that's pretty much going to end the debate, but yeah, it would be more PhDs and people I would go and see rather than obviously I would go, I would shadow coaches as well. But back when I was younger, I didn't, I just didn't have enough money to do all that stuff. And then I just found that when I tried to, they were pretty mute about it. Right. I remember coming to Orlando in 06 and I bought a series of five lessons with Phil Ritson, the South African coach. And as soon as he found out I was a teacher, he just gave me my money back. And I was like, all right, that's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I'd say I probably would do that. And then the one thing I loved growing up was I had a V1, the big white boxes. And uh, I just looked at so many swings all the time. And I just started noticing. I remember when I started in 2001, I started dotting the sweet spot, like with dots, right? And I would dot it on the way up and I would dot it on the way down. Well, it became pretty obvious to me that the club was always kind of coming in the same way. If you had a freakishly strong left hand or a freakishly weak left hand, maybe a little different, but for the most part, you know, everyone in the videos look different. Some are fit, some are tall, some are short, some are fat. But when I started dotting it, I was like, all right, so obviously I'm not trying to teach people to be on plane. That so plane is I remember I wrote an article in Score magazine in 2002 called said uh, why plane and lag is hurting your swing. <laughs> oh, I had no friends after that article, Tony, because it was like it was over. I'm like, all right, so hold on. Nicholas is over here talking to Greg Norman about he can't release it earlier enough. And I'm teaching people to hold on to it for dear life. Maybe I've got this wrong. Right. I'm not saying lag doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist because I'm creating it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I am doing it that way, then I'm going to have a pretty sweet two-way miss. So, I mean, I think if you look at the golf swing, you're dealing with human physiology. So you're dealing with, we are bipedlers, so we walk. So shifting our weight's quite natural. And we shifted from heel to midfoot to toe as we land heel to foot. So the backswing's kind of walking forwards. The transition's kind of when you're in the leap of faith where you're walking, but you're not attached to the ground with both feet. And then in the follow-through, we're kind of walking backwards. So I don't know if that's actually debatable. And I learned all that stuff from Kevin Duffy. I started with Kevin like in 2013, but Kevin was studied the diaphragm and the gait cycle. So he was, <laughs> this is a great story. I'm in Muirfield and I've had way too many beers and it's uh, it's Saturday night and I'm leaving in the morning because Hunter and Lee Westwood, I'm coaching both of them. They're in the last group and then Tiger's in the group before them. And so at the U S open, Rosie was in the second last group and Hunter was in the last group. And so I wanted to avoid that again, because that was like a really weird day on the range. Like they're both going to try and win the U.S. Open and one of them's probably going to. And you have to make two phone calls at the end of the day. And one is absolutely gutted and the other one's having the greatest day of his life. It's a really weird place to be. Right. It's uh, it's not for everybody. I'll tell you that. Right. I've seen a lot of people lose their mind out on the PGA Tour. So. I was like, I told my wife, I'm never going to ever do that again, ever. <laughs> like, I'm never doing that again. And uh, so that was the case. So I changed my flight to Sunday morning. So I went out with my uncle from Glasgow, who's a cab driver, and he's epic. I mean, he's if he had an ambition, he'd be as famous as Chris Rock is how funny he is. And so we had a great afternoon. I'm loving life, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's a beautiful night. And I'm walking down the street, and this guy comes out of a bar. And the guy kind of looked like an extra in like a Guy Ritchie movie, like he's going to mug me, right? He had kind of a shaved head. He looked pretty big and he looked tough. And he said, can I show you a picture? And I'm like, sure. And he pulls out his phone and it's a Safa Powell coming out of the blocks. And it's just the, his backside. It's just his ass and his legs and his arms. And he said, that's the top of the backswing. Can I buy you a beer? And I'm like, why not? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I went and talked to this genius. You know, he's designed Tommy Fleetwood's whole golf swing. And he's a fantastic trainer. But yeah, just years of those types of, you know, when you when you speak to everyone, you end up knowing a lot, 
Like, you know what I mean? When, when you're friendly, you know, it's like, you just, you just know a lot. And then a lot of times too, like when a guy comes out on tour, I'll say, but you know, I what did it with Rick Sessinghouse. You ever need anything? Here's my number. Give me a call. Just let me. Cause man, I wish I had that. I had a whole bunch of people. Well, not Butch always took me under his wing. Butch always liked me a lot, but it was like everyone, you know, it was kind of like, it's kind of like everyone's like concerned you're trying to date their girlfriend type of thing. And I was like, man, right. Oh yeah, for sure. And I get that. It's just try. It's just tribal instincts, right? Look, here's the deal, right? About human behavior. 85% of our brain purposes to this day are the same as a caveman, <laughs> the same as a caveman. Okay. So the basal ganglia and the limbic system and the amygdala come from our reptile brain. So then the new brain's about 15%. And I think the new brain's more due to evolution. But then also when we were able to mass produce foods, we were able to have more uh, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. So the brain expanded. As it did, we kind of lost our ability to breathe, which is probably the single biggest issue in America right now or in, the, in North America, people's ability to breathe. And uh, we're not that different, right? Like, we're just not that different. Uh, from, from what we what we were so we're definitely not more emotionally intelligent so i think getting people to you know as a coach understanding communication and then who you're talking to because the problem with the brain is that the front of the brain is a thriver but the back of the brain is a survivor and so that survivor is more functional than the thriver is you got to get to a pretty deep place within yourself to be able to shut down your instincts to detect threats all around you. And, and, and I'm not saying you're detecting it. Your brain's paying attention. It's, it, look, the, the old brain has only a couple of goals, right? Sleep, eat, hunt, eat, reproduce, sleep. That's it. It wasn't about like seeing your daughter walk down the aisle. That's new brain stuff. So, we, so how fast we go back to that, right? How fast we go back to that. We see it happen all the time. Twitter, Instagram. So I think that's really helped me to understand because, you know, when people are like, man, these players only remember the bad things that happened to them. I'm like, and they're allowed to, that is just, we are so born. We are so born with that software that there's nothing wrong with you. If you do, it's very natural. I think when people get screwed up is when they're told that, you know, Oh, that's wrong. Don't do that. You know, be positive. What, what do I need to be positive? I just hit it in the water. I mean, it's nothing wrong with slamming my club. I mean, it's, it's amazing to listen to real experts who know about learning. And they say like frustration is the genesis of learning. And then people get frustrated and we're like, calm down. You're fine. It's like, no, they're let them get, they're getting pissed, right? We're survivors. Yeah, absolutely. And if we don't get it done, then that doesn't, it doesn't mean good things for us. It, so that brain is still, the brain has no idea what an iPhone is, no idea about any of it. It's still what it was. So that would be my advice to anyone, you know, is Sasho, Scott, I've been very fortunate, Tone, because you know my best friends on tour. They're all chiros and physios. Yeah, so absolutely. I pretty much know the whole human anatomy, what muscle does what. I mean, we can talk about ground reaction forces all we want, but I just, sometimes I, I you know, it's like, there's a reason people don't produce certain things. You got to be able to have a muscle contraction. You, you got to be able to have an arch in your foot. Like there's so, there's so many tricky pieces to the physiology is the part that really keeps me teaching people slowly because you want to see someone rotate better through the ball, but they're pronated and their tibia is an internal rotation. I mean, unless they, unless they drop their left foot back and then jump out of the way, they're not going to be able to do it. So if that person comes to you and they're like, you know, I was pretty good in college and I started trying to hit a fade and now I can't play. And it's like, yeah, dude, cause you can't do that. How many people like ruin their careers trying to fade the ball, by the way? Yeah. I mean, people always, you see people go from having always hit one shot shake and then they need to do something different. You know, then they, somebody tells them, oh, this is what you got to do. And then you don't ever hear. From them. Well, that's no. just the thing is like a lot of times that shape is just based around how they actually move. Right. For sure. Right. And then what they were taught, I would say for the most part that better athletes are obviously going to have a stretch phase and a counter rotation phase. And so when you add, you know, the forward bend in transition with rotation, you're going to get side bends. And I think that's why good athletes hook it when they're kids. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's just been fascinating. And I also think today with today's technology, with the, with the clubs and the balls, 
I, I think it's almost as hard to fade it sometimes. But we see, you know, they slow DJ down and they slow Rory down and they slow Cameron Champ down and Waco Neiman. And these guys are unicorns, man. They're such unbelievable athletes. They are trying to extend. Like, there's no reason they'd be in the gym doing squats and lunges and Olympic lifting if they weren't trying to go from flexion to extension. They just have incredible mobility and they're able to do it. But I just, I just don't think that there's that many people who did it. Right. Even Sergio, it's like so funny. You watch Sergio and, uh, you know, Sergio was this before any of this was a fad. Right. And so Sergio sits there and goes, and it's not really a fad because there is merit to it, but I just don't know how many people can actually do that. And Sergio sits there on the range like this, right. Cause he knows, he knows if he pulls down on that chain and keeps it forever where the ball's going. So he just sits there and tries to release the club as fast as he can from the top. So we, it's funny. We tried we try to emulate a guy who's trying to get the club to pass him as fast as he can. <laughs> Jackson, do you have a question? I think we had a question or two come in. I think I saw a flash. We'll yeah, make we sure do. we get ask questions if we can. So yeah. question, I find interesting your interest in study of philosophy philosophers. What stimulated that interest and how do you use that knowledge to help yeah. players? Maybe an example. I don't really know why I like the philosophers, right? I, 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 well, I know I, I did. I wasn't very good at like math is not really my thing. I struggle with numbers and stuff. Probably took me about two years to be able to understand the difference between face and path and numbers. <laughs> but, you know, I guess, I guess as a little boy, my dad always says, I like, just asked why of everything. He said, I was like, so annoying. I just pull on his pants and go, why is the sky blue? Why do we go to church? Why, 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 why? So I think when I got into philosophy, I just, really enjoyed learning other people's ideas. Some parts I took, some parts I went to know. But yeah, it kind of chose me more than I chose it, I guess. Like for a lot of people, the things happen. But as far as like using it, I mean, I, it's probably just something I do all the time, like every day, all day. So I think when, say you start with someone like Lydia Ko. You 100% do it all day, all the time. Yeah, for sure. Is when I started with Lydia Ko, I mean, you're looking at a potential, like she's a generational great. There's no reason in the world she should ever be bad at golf, right? She's like 55th in the world and we have our first lesson. And I just started challenging her from like day one on like, who are you? Like, why do you do this? Like what, you know, she's number one in the world at 17. How many people can say they've ever been number one in the world at 17, right? Probably just like skateboarders. <laughs> probably because the 32 year olds are probably better, but they they're so injured. They can't even skate anymore. So <laughs> that, that whole thing that I did with her was more was, that was kind of my first, her and Michael Kim were my first attempt at being more of a life coach than a swing coach. You know, I like to ask people like, what are they afraid of? What are you afraid of? Because I, I think what happens is a lot of times when people tell you something, and they're struggling and they tell you something and then you write it down and say it back in your voice. They then find out how actually stupid it sounds. But sometimes when it's our own voice, it just sounds right. And so I think that that's the important part is, you know, there you've got this 23 year old baby goat. And obviously when she was at her best, she was, you know, across the line, her left arm was low. She turned a ton. She, she got on her right side fully nothing much different from there. She had some linear shift and she had some vertical, just, you know, like how you would move if you're goaded, right? <laughs> it's just what you do. And so then when she came to me, she probably was 105 pounds. So yeah, she's around that age, obviously, right? Biologically, you know, there's people are becoming concerned, like biologically, our brain's starting to think about a partner. Okay. And then to be in the tribe, obviously, we want to be accepted. What does it mean to be accepted in the tribe today? With women, I grew up seeing Cosmopolitan and Elle on my mom's table and saw her get depressed as she compared herself to the people on the front cover, right? So women go through a way different thing than we do in life, way different. So coaching women and men, very different, um, not technically speaking, but how you, how you do what you do. I always tell young coaches, don't show girls videos because as soon as they look at the video, they're going to start judging themselves. And then because they're kind, they'll be able to sit there and think they're listening, but they'll just be looking at themselves. So don't video girls. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, Jackson, I'm telling you. But that, that, you know, that's kind of the philosophy was like, all right, this girl's obviously lost and she's never really, you know, she's been everything everyone wants her to be. And now she's starting to 
revolt a little bit and wants to find out, you know, her own idea of life. And, uh, you know, the easy part was she was trying to keep her right knee bent the whole time and she was over hinging the club and cupping her left wrist. So, I mean, basically I gave her some videos to look at and I, I told her, I, I don't have time to work with you now, but if you look at these videos, I think you should try and get your swing back to that. And she said, well, my club face is closed and my hips are too fast. And I was like, you were number one in the world there. You weren't doing anything wrong. <laughs> okay. You were, <laughs> okay. You were just not doing anything wrong, but you were, if you went to someone who teaches a math, right. And that's it. This is like that. I think the reason you look to ground forces and what we do to the club with our hands and arms and track man and what trainers do in the gym with athletes and all that is because then you know that every single restaurant has their own recipe, but chicken curry's got the same ingredients. It's just there's some restaurants use more turmeric, some restaurants use more pepper. The ingredients are identical, right? The ingredients are identical. So if someone says the pecs aren't a big deal in the golf swing, no, the pecs are a big deal in the golf swing, right? Like we should all be bench pressing. But, you know, I grew up at a time where I was trying to do all those things to push myself. And then people saying, well, if you do that, you're going to lose your mobility. Well, I mean, I think the last 10 Mr. Olympias can do the splits. So that's not true, right? Just because you get big doesn't mean you're not. Look at those guys in the NFL. They're like cats, man. Then they're 250, right? So I think, you know, you just got to challenge. You just got to challenge, you know, like I did with Plain. I remember with all those kids that I mentioned who made it to pro golf, they were all on the Canadian national team. And uh, the national team coaches did not like me at all. But I was very arrogant. Like, I can't explain to you how arrogant I was. But I, I feel at that time that I needed to be that way. Like, it's just was what I needed to do. And all of my kids turned their hips too much in the backswing. And in the downswing, their left hand and shaft flattened out too much. So none of them were on plane. So when people like, oh, that was way, like, my guy, those guys have said, you you know, the idea of shallowing you were teaching us in, in 21. And I was like, no, I just really liked Hogan and Trevino. And I figured that, you know, like when you look at DJ, he's an impressive looking human being. When you look at Lee Trevino, if Lee can do it, I think you can do it. OK, it's Lee, 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 if you can do it, if Lee can do it, you can do it. So I just was always concerned about where the ball was, where the ball was going. Just really that simple. And then there's the skills, right? I mean, probably the thing I see the most often on tour is how much guys struggle when they don't have the right number into the green. So. Do they hit one harder? Do they hit it soft? And even knowing their tendencies when they do that. Right. I mean, that, that taking a little off a club can make a club go so far. It's, un it's unbelievable, Tony, right? Oh, yeah. Let oh, me, yeah. I'm gonna, I had one player, I won't name names, it was a couple weeks ago. He's like, I'm going to take a little off a foreign. And I go, uh, so uh, hold on. So we're in a right to left wind and the ball's going to spin about. Mm, if you take a little off, it could drop under 4,000. And you're going to do what? I'm going to hit a. Uh, like a hold up fade into this right pin <laughs> from like 225. And I just said, Oh, stop it. You're not even that good. I said, just back foot it and get it on the middle of the green, please. That's it. Like, like That's no one, no one's getting, if, if you get it close to this pin, it's the best shot you've hit in a month. If it was on purpose, right. It's just not a good play. So, so often when I'm on the course with my players, the younger ones, the older ones, I just feel like I'm walking with Mark Brody and I'm like, what would Mark Brody say here? And Mark Brody would say, Oh, from 200 yards, if you get it on the green, you're doing well. So please don't try to hit a hold up fade into a right to left wing to a right pin. <laughs> what do you, but, but that's the thing though, right? Tony is that's when it's interesting to get into the brain stuff again, because people do that over and over. And it's kind of a self-sabotage in a way because like they probably know they're not good at it, but they just keep doing it. And it's like, dude, why are we doing this? So I think when you can try to get the players to talk to them, like they're a business, like you're a business. Okay. So do you think it's in the benefit of your business to add two hours of short game a day and make it totally very probably is right. It's probably good for your business. If you have an eight o'clock tea time is that your phone is off by 7 PM. It's probably good for your business to look at the supplements you're putting in your water and get some really good electrolyte things, not just the ones that come out on tour that are full of sugar. Like there's so many things that you can that you can do with a player before you even look at their swing, I think. Yeah. I mean, we got a generation now of guys who like kids in college and young pros who play Call of Duty till two in the morning. I mean, all the right. science is saying that that's just not what you do. 
I mean, if you think about over over time, because our processes of our physiology, okay, is very similar to what it was tens of thousands of years ago, okay, we would have been up right when the sun came up because we'd have to go hunt all day. We would have been barefoot all day. We would have been in connection with the earth the whole day, uh, which is so important for immunity and the nervous system. And then we would have killed the animal. We would have released dopamine, not after the kill, but during the process and the effort of the chase. Because, I mean, if we just kept failing every day, we'd be extinct. So we had to elicit some kind of chemical receptor that would make us feel good about what we were doing. And that goes into a whole theory of when people win, why they end up getting depressed. It's kind of, that's there too. And then we would have come back, we would have eaten, and then we would have reproduced. And then... I mean, even light and fire is relatively new versus the species. So as soon as the sun was down, we were gone. We are asleep. And so, so much of the mental health aspects of the human system is based on early sunlight, is based in having connectivity to the earth because that's the system. So if you look at the sun, the sun is electric. It's electric energy is what it produces. And then the earth is a giant magnet. And that's why human beings are electromagnetic. So you have to be doing stuff like that. So, I mean, I just talked to the University of Florida golf team, right? And they, they're all doing it. Not one of those kids know how to breathe. And I'm like, how, 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 how are we at this level with the top players in the country? And they're going to be in positions where they're going to be really nervous, which isn't bad, which isn't bad, right? But, but we've all seen it when it's too much. Okay, so, and I, I don't think playing golf is like being a zen out Buddhist. I think there has to be some... There has to be some, some fear to some extent. Some intensity is important. I don't think it's important in between shots, but I think it's important into the shot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, m- most people struggle because they get way too high strung and they get concerned. And then they cannot get back to being parasympathetic, parasympathetic again because they, they just can't do it. And then all of a sudden, the brain's not interested at all in playing golf. It thinks there's a saber-toothed tiger. It doesn't realize it's a 10-footer downhill at Augusta. It actually thinks it's a saber-toothed tiger. So I just always wonder how much my players are performing out of fear. You know, why they all have this attitude like they have so much to lose. And it's like, when you ask them that, they don't have any answer. And so it's like, you know, it's, I think if you approach it, I posted some on Instagram the other day, and it was a 17-second snippet of Dolly Parton. I saw that. Oh, Oh, I mean, dude, that hit me like a sonic wave when I watched that. I mean, right. I mean, it was just so perfect. She's like, I've been about as poor as anyone's ever been. So the way I see it, I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. I'm like anybody, but I'm not afraid of failing because, you know, even when I lose, I win because I can take what I learned in that experience and use it at a different time. And it was so perfect, right? It was like, <laughs> It was just so, so, so simple. But, but this is a very wise person, right? And so I think, like, even if you look at that, I just think with players, it's like, it's so important to get them to be passionate about the mundane. And, you know, when you look at Tom Brady and Tiger Woods and all those guys, I mean, they've sacrificed more than anyone. Jordan, all those guys. I mean, they don't end up married. Like, they just don't. Because, you know, that's a whole different level. I'm sure Tom Brady would rather do things, other things than watch game film for 30 hours a week. But so how, how is the guy, how's the guy who's literally arguably probably one of the worst athletes in the history of the combine now the goat of the NFL. And so I'm fascinated by things like that. I want to know about that. You know, I want to know why Tiger Woods thought it was important to be able to make full swings and hit his seven iron from a hundred yards to 200 yards. And when he took it to the top, you didn't know how far it was going to go. Like why, why was that important? Why does Steph Curry shoot more layups than a 10 year old? Because he just knows that you can never miss a layup. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's like, and, and I think when we think of those people, we think they have a secret, but I just think curiosity and sacrifice and just passion is, is they just weren't going to suck. Right. That's exactly right. Last question, Jackson. Roll out that last. There was a question, I think, about how his philosophy changed. Yeah. And, Sean, in what ways has your coaching evolved since you started working with Justin Rose? Well, I don't work with Rosie anymore. Um, I haven't worked with him since just before Augusta, but Rosie's like my brother. He's my boy. Right. I've been able to uh, split up with people and maintain relationships. (laughs) I think that's why we worked for so long in the first place. 
my philosophy, I don't know. I think at that time, Rosie was kind of like right where I was at. So everyone had to be centered. Everyone had to have a flat left wrist. Everyone had to let their pelvis turn, which is like, I kind of still that way. I don't teach a whole, I'd say my understanding of what I teach is probably way different now than it was then, but I always knew what I liked. Like we didn't get hitting yeah. it better. If we were wrong. I just, you know, but I always liked the left arm across the tilt. So when I met Sean O'Hare and his hands were over his head, I was like, put a glove under and we'll do that. And that worked beautifully. And then uh, I always, you know, I always liked uh, kind of mid to three quarter backswing starting to move back to the target. And so Hunter kind of used to spin out with too much rotation. So I got Hunter trying to squash a tomato under his left foot. And that was magic. <laughs> he was pretty magic too, by the way. Yeah. So I feel I'm pretty lucky, Jackson, because. I feel like at that time, with what I knew, I was just really lucky that the first kind of three or four guys I had could all use some of that. Mm-hmm. Right? That's interesting. And it took me a long time to be able to admit that to a bunch of strangers, bro. Like, it's just true. It's like, yeah, I was just pretty, I was, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty fortunate with that. Not to say that, look, if you have 10 great players come to you and you got all 10 of them centered, turning their pelvis flattening their left hand and having, you know, getting off their right side, you're probably not going to be far off. Right. Uh, but, but those guys really like when I took Rosie from not turning his pelvis and his left wrist looking like a bunker shot to like, even just there with, with a little turn. I mean, the guy just stood up later and he st- when he stood up and twisted it, it was perfect. Right. I mean, I've seen this guy hit the most beautiful iron shots you'll ever see in your life with his head like this and his hands like this. So (laughs) it wasn't it it, over time. Like, I think if you look at like my favorite video versus the first one we had, you can't see any of that in there. But if you go on an Enzo, you know that that thing's still closing at about 3,500 degrees. So it's, you know, (laughs) we're in this thing of like holding the face and I'm like, no one is holding the face by the way. Okay. (laughs) Like, they're, they're really not holding the face. This thing is closing. This thing is closing faster than the subway door in New York City. It's quite interesting to find out in transition just how open the face is. You know, I don't, you know, when I work with junior golfers, I teach them all kind of how to learn to touch their forearm together. I mean, that when I have like some of these young girls come to see me, I can get them hitting it so much further in 10 minutes just by getting them to actually use their hands and forearms. But then people go, well, that, that they got to really you know, they got to base that on timing. And I'm like, I mean, when I sit on the toilet, I have to base it on timing. (laughs) Like everything's timing. So don't, don't, you know, don't, don't, uh, I think where I've been fortunate when I was younger is I would see these kids who would come with these funky swings and they hit it so good. And so I just took them to short game area. I was like, man, I don't even want to touch that because it didn't make sense to me. But then I looked at the ball and I'm like, all right, well, I've come to learn why it was a good thing that I didn't change them into my preference at that time because Sasho taught me quite a few things. And some of the physiologists taught me quite a few things where, you know, these guys, because they didn't have something, they learned to manipulate around that point and create something. So I think in every lesson, there's so much low bearing fruit that you just, you know, you don't have to get overly technical or crazy about it. That's awesome. That's great. But I still, but I still, you know what, Tanner Barnhard's on this call and Tanner and, uh, and I, we live I'm here in Keens point and we coach here on the same range. And, uh, you know, even to this day, after every lesson, I still think I do a bad job. I mean, in my own mind, I'm not even good yet. Like, so it's, there's nothing, I don't lose sleep over it, but, but trust me, I'm not sitting there like, Oh yeah, I know this. I got it. The other day I was coaching this girl, this Chinese girl named Alice and she's a lovely kid. She, I'm going to help her because she just wants to go to Harvard and, be a businesswoman and be a scratch handicap. And I was like, you don't have to play on the LPGA, by the way. Uh, you probably don't want to. It's not a very nice life unless you're in the top 20 on the money list. And uh, I was just, I was supposed to be with her for like an hour. I went two and a half hours because I just wasn't happy yet. And she's, she's, she's looking at me and she's like, this is unbelievable. I've never hit a golf ball like this. And I'm, I'm leaving still thinking, man, you blew that lesson. You could do so much better than that. That, That's nothing wrong with that. So if everyone on here goes on Instagram and sees someone posting, you know, (laughs) this is, this is my, you know, this is so pure, so money and congrats to my player who won. I think I'm going to start something, Tony. I think I'm only going to post 
when they're like minus three strokes gained off the tee and like the swing that was totally bad, not the swing that it took us two hours to try to get it into a certain position that we'll never get in under pressure for probably five more years. Um, and post that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're the best, Sean. This was awesome. First of all, thanks for always being kind to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, of and- course, bro. And being a friend, you've always always been great to me. And thanks for taking the time to help all these folks coming up. We need to do it again. Yeah, no, I enjoy it, man. It's a, it's all it's it's all good, man. I wish I had more stuff like this when I was uh, younger. But um, there was one question though about someone asked a question about Jay Cole and Kendrick. Oh, and I, there we go. Come on, we can't. We got to get that in. Which will we see first, Jay Cole Kendrick collaboration album, or you wearing a polo without the top button buttoned? Oh, definitely. Well, a little birdie spoke to me and said that the Cole Kendrick thing is 100% happening. And if that happens, I will probably might, you know, the emoji where your head explodes. I think that will actually physically happen. Um, I just think, I just think those guys are so special, man. Like they, you know, it's, you know, music is unfortunately for hip hop. It's, it's a genre that's just taken over the whole country, you know, and those guys continue to fill stadiums and only talk about conscious things that matter. I love that. I mean, that is what it's, and they're so, they're so, so incredible. So I, this is a Hogan thing. So I even, when I go to the gym, my trainer's like, you're going to undo that top button. I was like, no, no, you've never seen anyone Tony in the gym. So well dressed It's actually crazy. That's my thing. I've never seen that dress perfectly. Promise me one thing next time, next event, we're all at me. We're going to go get another beer. Those are some of my favorite ones. Sitting yes, and having a beer. Well, we got to make sure we have Donald Cooper with us because that is when life gets amazing. For everyone on the phone call, Donald Cooper was Lucas Glover's caddy forever. Uh, yeah. And he was one, he was the first white caddy at Augusta. And if Coop had a podcast, he would be a billionaire. Cause he, so how much I'll give you one last story. So me, me and, me and, me and Coop, I met Coop years ago in Tampa, 2007, and he invited me out that night. And we, <laughs> he said, we're going to meet me at this place. It's called Oasis. And I was kind of like, Oasis, that sounds like a strip club. All right, well, whatever. I, I don't know anyone out here, and I think this guy's amazing, so I'll just meet him. So anyways, we go to this place called Stars. I think it was called Stars. <laughs> and I walk in there, and they're all big girls, and they got tassels on, and they're big, but they're big. And I'm like, what kind of place is this? I'm from Toronto. And, and come on, th- that, that's a whole different world, right? So I'm in there and I get a Heineken and I'm sitting at the bar and this girl wants to come up and sit on my lap. And I'm like, I don't know if I can handle that. She's about 340 pounds here. So no, I'm, I'm good, honey. I'm just here to meet my friend. And he comes in, <laughs> he comes in and the music stops. And all I hear is, hi, Don. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So anyways, I didn't, I didn't see him for the rest of the night, but the, the great stories in Muirfield this year, or where were we? St. Andrews. It's Sunday. And I'm, I'm doing um, this new Netflix show that's coming on. I'm kind of the constant voice during the whole series, giving it like my two cents on what I'm seeing and what have you. And so I had to shoot with them, walked around St. Andrews on the back nine that evening. So I look outside the Dunvegan and this car pulls up and who gets out of the car? Donald Cooper, right? And Donnie comes out and he puts his stuff down and I'm sitting right in the doorway. I've already had like five pints, right? I'm loving life and, and I'm sweating. It's like 90 degrees in St. Andrews. That's why I know it's over for the world because in St. Andrews, I got sunburned every day in St. Andrews. And so I said, Don, can I get you a beer? And he goes, I just stopped here to get one beer before I have to go to my place. It's like 30 minutes from here. And I said, well, my guys don't get in till tomorrow. And I'm like staying 200 yards from here, bro. Like you can see my room on the street there. And he's like, I said, you want to stay with me? And he was like, a hundred percent. And so there's my Donald Cooper's. So Tony and I have run in to each other in some watering holes and Donald Cooper is with us. And uh, it's, I think as a team podcast, it's like, like forget Joe Rogan. This is way bigger than Joe Rogan. Oh my God. (laughs) That would be epic if we recorded the three of us talking. I would get, I'd probably get arrested. I'd probably get arrested or shot at for sure if we started to really get into it. But anyways, Holds, you're the best, buddy. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Tour Coach. I want to take a minute and thank Cordy Walker and Golf Science Lab, as well as my sponsors, Shrikshan, Buick, 
Bushnell, and Vineyard Vines for helping make all of this possible and helping me share my insights with you. If you like what you've heard, why don't you check out more on the Dew Sweepers channel on YouTube as well as the Dew Sweeper on Instagram or go to dewsweepersgolf.com to find out more about my teaching, my travels, and where you can find out more about me.